watchers in the fourth dimension. Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this, because it's a little out of my range. This contract terminates with Swan. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This bonus episode is a very special one. The last regular episode we released, in which we discussed the Seeds of Doom, was the final one that we recorded with our dear friend Don before his untimely death. In this episode, we're going to pay tribute to Don in several ways. First of all, we're going to share some of our own reminiscences of that great man. We're going to read some of the amazing mail that we received from the Doctor Who fandom. And then we're going to discuss a movie that was very dear to Don, but had nothing to do with Doctor Who. As I need Don the longest, I will kick us off with my own tribute to him. Don was one of the earliest friends that I made when I moved to the States, and we met at a house party. And from the other side of the room, I suddenly heard a loud, Exterminate! And it turned out to be this text message ringtone that belonged to this man with long hair and the most amazing goatee. And... On hearing that, I immediately knew that I had to be friends with this man, and Don candidly didn't have a lot of choice in the matter. He, from there, helped me make my way around my first Dragon Con. He showed me where the con suite was, he showed me where the tiki bar was, he even explained Gumby to me. And several years ago, when I wanted to convene a podcast, asking him to be involved was an absolute no-brainer to me. He was absurdly talented with sound and video. He really was the mastermind behind making us sound better and better over our first four years of making the show. To me, it says a lot about his talent and ability that it took us nearly six months to reverse engineer everything he did on the sound front. And to give some context, he would take our raw recordings, he would cut out all the dead air, he would run it through a few filters to really make us sound as full as possible, and then he would send what was left out to whomever was editing that week to then go ahead and do the final edit. Hopefully what you're hearing now is close enough to everything he used to do to make us sound really good. Don sadly passed away on January the 23rd, 2023, and if you heard the announcement I put out that day, you'll have heard how absolutely devastated I was. He was such a very close friend of mine, and he is very, very much missed. And Julie, I'll hand over to you. All right, great. Thank you, Anthony. So as it probably is somewhat apparent, Anthony is the one who brought us all together. And I remember meeting Don for the first time in a coffee shop, talking about doing a podcast. Me, being the talkative person that I am, was focused on, okay, yes, I want to do a podcast. I want to talk about all the things. And Don was the one who would sit there and say, well, maybe we should think about outlines. Maybe we should think about sound. How are we going to record? Do people have the right tools in order to do this? As Anthony also said, he was the person behind making us sound as good as we do. I loved doing this with him, especially from the beginning. I think I tried to be a little bit more clean at the beginning, and I remember questioning whether or not we should name an episode Susan Loves Scissoring. <laughs> and now I've gotten to a point where we were competing over who could make the most inappropriate title in our episodes. <laughs> so I really will miss Don, not only for his contributions from a sound and editing front, but also from just that humor that he had is something that we probably won't get back. I'll hand it over to you, Riley. I was also introduced to Don through Anthony when the podcast was being planned. And due to our ages being similar, I believe that we had an understanding of each other at a very early mark. 
Over time, we discovered that we both shared a similar taste in comedy and an appreciation for horror films, particularly very old ones. Don was one of those people with a defensive exterior that really protected what was a kind and thoughtful person. And once you broke through that, you were given access to his wonderful wit. And I'm very happy and glad that all the listeners of the podcast got a taste of that. I will surely miss a good friend and companion in horror. Thank you both. When we announced Don's passing, we were honestly absolutely floored by the amazing support that this fandom gave to us. And I think that really said a lot about how much people appreciated Don, his warm personality, his dry sense of humor, and the amazing insights that he had. He wasn't the most talkative of us, but when he had something to say, it was always very insightful and very cutting. (laughs) We were so incredibly touched by all of your messages and those messages really helped us during that difficult time. So what we wanted to do was highlight all of your support by reading the messages that all of you lovely people sent us. And before we get into the specific longer messages, a good number of you left very short condolence messages, four or five words, and I really wanted to acknowledge those. And so I'm going to start by giving a shout out to those who sent those in. So this is a little bit of a list, but thank you to Adam Wright, Mike Faber, Mike Saville, Dave Jones, John Hart, Tad Davis, John S. Drew, Anthony Lee, Mark Dunstan, Neil Rhodes, Mike Larbus, Troy Hunter, Stephen Witkowski, John William Logie, Cy Hart, Michael Faulkner, Paul Arthur, The Running Down Corridors podcast, Chris Murray, Cat, also known as Citrine Dragonfly and formerly known as Blue Box Charm over on Instagram, Zinni Donovan, David Nordmeyer, Wayne Drury, the Discussing Who podcast, Ian Kay, and Greg Cool. Next, I'm going to hand over to Julie, who's going to kick off our longer items of mail. And for each message, we're going to cycle through on reading them. So Julie, get us started, please. All right. Probably one of the favorite names out there, Astrazon Dangelbert Zebulon, says, this is a gut punch to you guys especially, but all of us Watchers fans will feel his loss. Yes, please thank you for that. Riley, before you jump in with the next one, I do want to say Don always loved the name Asterisk Dangleberg Zebulon. <laughs> I feel it's very appropriate that we kick off the longer condolences with that one. John Thomas Casey says, I don't want to believe it. This is terrible. I'm so sorry, guys. Don was a really good guy and I always enjoyed the chats we had. I hadn't checked in for a while and had been meaning to do so for months. I can imagine a little of how you all must be feeling right now. It really is devastating, and it sounds like it was sudden and unexpected. The hole left behind when someone just goes forever hurts like nothing else. Be as well as you can. You three are my thoughts. Thank you, John. Next up, we heard from Lena McKee, and she said, I just heard about this. This is so sad, so unexpected. You start thinking of the hosts as friends, and it definitely is a loss felt deeply. My thoughts and prayers to everyone to find peace. Lena, thank you so much. Now from our unofficial watcher, Alan Seiler, I'm still in complete disbelief. I haven't known Don for very long, mostly just in the past year to year and a half. In that time, I've come to know him as a very funny, very caring, very intelligent, and very warm person. And yes, all of the varies. As a Watcher's listener since the beginning, I've known his voice and personality for four and a half years. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to get to know him as a friend. He will most definitely be missed. I guarantee that I will never again see or hear a reference to Zed cars without thinking of him. <laughs> Accurate. My most sincere condolences to my friends in the Watchers crew. I love you all. We love you too, Alan. Yes, Alan. 
Paul Dovey says, what a terrible shock. I'm so sorry for your loss. Since discovering your podcast, I have thought of all of you as virtual friends. Don's take on things often made me laugh out loud, and my thoughts are with you all. Thank you, Paul. We all laughed out loud. Yep. Oh, yes, often. <laughs> Our next message came from Nathan Laws, and before I read it, I do want to give a shout out to Nathan. He has been listening effectively since the beginning and generally providing his feedback on almost every episode. And while we may not always agree with each other, we certainly have a lot of respect for Nathan and value his input. So Nathan said, as I mentioned on Anthony's personal feed, I'm very, very sorry to hear this. It's a shock, because even though I didn't know Don aside from his contributions to this show, you get used to hearing a particular voice and you expect to just keep on hearing it. I always appreciated Don's point of view on things, and I think he was the watcher I probably agreed with the most often. He will definitely be missed. I do hope that eventually you guys find your way towards releasing any episodes he recorded prior to this. I get that that can be hard, but at the same time it would be nice to hear him again. I realise that may be some time away before it's even an option. I hope that you all are doing as well as you can during this difficult time, and my heart goes out to you all. Nathan, thank you so much. That was a really nice message, and by the time you're hearing this, Don's final two episodes will have gone out, and you're right, it was very tough for us to edit those, but we felt that he would have wanted those out. We certainly felt like it was important to really celebrate Don that way as well, so appreciate your thoughts there. Now, from Bill Stevens... Please know we all share your sadness and heartbreak. Your podcast feels like having a chat with like-minded friends, and that's why Dawn will be so missed. I hope it's some comfort to know the pleasure you all bring to so many fans the world over. Think about that, the world over. Mm -hmm. It still blows my mind that there are people in other countries, many other countries that are listening to us, and we all greatly appreciate it, and I know Dawn did as well. From Charles Martin. I've been enjoying working my way through your back catalog and keeping up with the current episodes. And I just want to say that all of you make really great, unique contributions to the show. Don might be the one I identified with most, though, because of exactly the traits you pointed out. Funny, sharp, always positive, but when needed, the deliverer of high-quality snark. <laughs> I love the obvious chemistry between the four of you. As a fellow Who podcaster myself, formerly of the Happiness Patrol and GPR, I cannot fathom the sadness that must be accompanying the unexpected loss of such a good friend and teammate. I hope your memories and camaraderie will give you some comfort in the days ahead. His contributions to the show will certainly not be forgotten here. Thank you, Charles. Joseph Storb wrote in and said, So saddened to hear this. Prayers for Don, his family and friends in this extremely hard time. Take all the time you guys need. We completely understand. Joseph, that means a huge amount to us, I think, as everyone knows by this point. It's taken us probably about seven months to release new material since Don's passing. And uh, I think that was the time we needed, but definitely appreciate all of you for sticking with us and waiting it out. Now from Dan Boris, this is so very sad. I've only recently started to listen to the podcast, started around the middle of the Pertwee era, and it has just started to get into my favorite era of the series. Having first watched these when I was young, it is really interesting to hear other perspectives on the episodes. It has even prompted me to take a second look at some of the episodes. Yeah, some people really need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to the return of the podcast whenever they are ready. It will never be the same without Don, nor should it be. But I am sure the listeners will continue to enjoy in whatever form it takes. To paraphrase Peter Davidson's doctor, Braveheart podcast team. Thank you so much. From Mark Russell, I never met Don, but I still feel the gut punch of his passing. 
I've spent many a happy hours listening to his pithy comments and funny takes on the podcast. I will miss his voice. I know I will because, and this is just me speaking, not Mark, but Don had a beautiful, buttery, perfect voice for audio. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, that was my introduction. But back to Mark, I will smile when I think of him and still laugh when I re-listen and remember the podcast. Condolences to all who knew and loved him. Thank you, Mark. On that note, just on Don's voice, at times there was a reminiscence of Nick Offerman in there. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was watching The Great North and was like, wait, Nick Offman kind of sounds like Don. So you can just listen to Nick Offman and pretend it's Don. (laughs) Mike Wilkinson wrote in and said, oh no, guys, I am so sorry. I'd been fishing for the perfect Doctor Who podcast for some time when I stumbled upon yours a few weeks ago. It really is the perfect mix of information, fun and relatable personalities. I just decided to look for your online presence and thank you for the great job and let you know that I'm all in. This was the first post I saw. I'm only a few seasons in, but you guys all mesh so amazingly. I certainly hope that you guys stick together and continue, but we are all here for you and sending positivity no matter what. Mike, thank you. And hopefully now that we're back, you are back listening to us again. From Jessica Grimwood. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry to hear this. My heart goes out to you all and to his loved ones. He will be sorely missed. Yes. Yes, he will. Thank you so much, Jessica. From John Michael Helmer. I am so sorry for your loss. His reviews are always a pleasure to listen to. Take your time and remember him as we will, always in the fourth dimension. Thank you, John. I like that, always in the fourth (laughs) dimension. That's good. It is. We Mm -hmm. might steal that, John. (laughs) Peter J. Kane, short but sweet, said, This is terrible, shocking news. My condolences to Anthony, Julie, Riley, and all of Don's family and friends. Thank you, Peter. I got another great name that we like to come across in our podcast, and that's Beardo Beatnik. We all lost a friend today, just hadn't had the chance to meet him yet. His wit and charm is torn from the world that sorely needed more of his caliber. And you are absolutely right. If we had more Dons in the world, it might be a stranger place, but it would be a better place. Stranger place in a really good way. Yes. And a funnier place. (laughs) From the Whovian gal, also known as Naomi. I am so sorry for your loss. Don was so amazingly kind and a wonderful soul. He will be missed, and my thoughts are with all of you. Thank you, Naomi. And before we move on, Naomi was on the show at one point, and it was Don who actually suggested that we bring her on, and she was great, and Mm -hmm. that was a fantastic call from Don. Yes. Naomi, Don thought very highly of you, and we really appreciate you writing in. From Kasturbarusa over on Instagram, also known as Malcolm. I'm so sorry for your loss. This is so unexpected and I can't believe it. I always enjoyed his humorous quips and interesting opinions that he gave on whatever was being discussed. He always had some interesting connection to add to the podcast, which I love to hear about and investigate further. He will be missed. Malcolm, thank you so much. Okay. From Austin Patterson. I'm so sorry, guys. Please take all the time you need. You always have friends in the community if you need anything. We all appreciate it. I know six months is a long time for us to get our feet back, but we're looking forward to giving you guys some new content again. From Kevin Gale, I'm so sorry for you all and anyone who knew him that loved him. What a terrible loss. He was definitely always something to look forward to. And for us too, I mean, just to hear what he would have to say and, you know, we got his quips before anyone else. So thank you, Kevin. Yeah, I definitely think we're slightly less funny without Don. Yes, definitely. (laughs) 
Tim Barron says, I am so, so sorry to hear this. I never met Don, but I felt I knew him through your wonderful podcast. Such wit, such warmth, such a loss. Thoughts and prayers with you all. Tim, couldn't agree with you more. It's definitely coming across from a lot of this feedback that a lot of people really felt that they got to know him and definitely appreciated his wit and his general personality. So thank you and agreed. Now from Dave Columbus, I had just cleared up some personal issues in life and was catching up on podcasts I missed. Then I heard the news. So sorry for this. His sharp wit and wealth of knowledge of the show will be missed. Yes, you're absolutely right. That wit, none of us have it. Agreed. From Alex Cafe Zoglu, which Alex, I'm sorry, I've read your mail before. And if you could phonetically write out your last name, I promise I'll get it correctly. I actually went on YouTube to try to learn how to pronounce your name before reading your name before, but I wasn't certain. But Alex says, I've been thinking about Don quite a lot the last few days. The best thing about your podcast is the humor. You're all very funny, but no one more so than (laughs) Don. That is true. Who would often have me laughing out loud with his comments and observations. This is such a huge loss, even just to us, the listeners. I can't begin to imagine how you all are coping. I hope you're all looking after your souls and will take the time to come to terms with this. We will all still be here when you are ready. My condolences to you all. R.I.P. Don. Thank you, Alex. Next up, we have Bill Lamond, who was very frank. And he says, with my autism, I never know when I'm going to say the wrong thing. So I'll be brief. I am so sorry. So sad. I do want to go back and listen to past episodes, but with my 99th percentile ADD, I struggle to figure out who's speaking. I'll still miss Don, but not as much as you will. Thank you for reminding us to tell the people we love that we love them. Bill, you said the perfect thing. Keeping it brief, but expressing your condolences. So thank you. All right. I think we're getting close, guys. And now from Gary Ireland. I've only just started listening to your podcast in the last few weeks, and I'm already on the savages. Oh dear, the savages. I absolutely love hearing everyone's takes on the episodes. You guys have been my company traveling every day to Edinburgh for my new job. Each day, hearing your enthusiasm for a TV show I love reminds me how lucky I am to finally ended up working in the industry I love. Oh, that's even better. I love the pace of your podcast, the metrics, the quip synopsis, and have had lots of laugh out loud moments. A fear few of them do to dawn. That's the running theme. Today, Spotify accidentally skipped me to the latest episode and was sorry to hear about his passing. I can't begin to imagine how you guys are feeling, but felt the need to reach out and thank you all and pass on my condolences. I hope in your own time, you will return to the podcast. In the meantime, I'll enjoy the episodes I've got. So sorry for your loss and hope you are keeping well. Julie, thank you so much for that last one. That brings us to the end of the mail we had. And as I said, the response from you all has been truly, truly touching and absolutely amazing. All of your messages really have filled our hearts with joy. And it became obvious how much of our audience have connected with all of us, but especially Don. He never knew, I don't think, how enjoyed he was. And I think if he could read all of this, he would have been incredibly, incredibly touched. So thank you, everyone. For the remainder of this episode, we're going to do something a little different from our norm, and we're going to discuss something that has basically zero connection to Doctor Who, and that's a film called Phantom of the Paradise. Now, you might be asking why, and the answer is Don really loved this film, 
And he often mentioned to the three of us that he was desperately trying to find some sort of really tenuous link to the show so that we could do a bonus episode on it. I think he was even going in to see if any of these actors had worked with someone who worked on the show in another production to really, really tie it back in some bizarre and random way. But <laughs> honestly, we've still found nothing on this. But I have a tentative thing, but we will discuss. Okay, good. Okay, good. we'll come back to that. But regardless, honestly, Don really wanted to talk about this and doing so now seems like a really nice way to pay tribute to him. Before we discuss it, just to give everyone some information on the film, it was written and directed by Brian De Palma, who would actually go on to have some pretty big successes as a director, including Carrie, Dress to Kill, Scarface, and the first Mission Impossible movie. Sadly, this film was not one of his successes. Released on Halloween 1974, the film grossed a mere... $250,000 on a budget of $1.5 million. Ouch. <laughs> However, in recent years, it's developed quite the cult following, and bizarre kind of fact about that is it became a major influence on the iconic French electronica duo Daft Punk. <laughs> the other main player in this movie is an actor and a musician by the name of Paul Williams, who in this, not only played Swan, but he also provided the singing voice for Wilson Leach, and he wrote the score for the whole movie. He's also had quite the career, writing hits for Three Dog Night, The Carpenters, and Barbara Streisand. And in terms of films, he also scored 1976's Bugsy Malone, 1979's The Muppet Movie, and every millennial's favourite, 1992's absolutely iconic The Muppet Christmas Carol. So with that, we're going to jump in and discuss this, and I really just want to kind of start with each of you what are your overall impressions of this now having watched it i still haven't figured out if i love it or hate it <laughs> and i think it really falls into the realm of rocky horror for me because if the music wasn't there i would hate it <laughs> i would hate it but the music saves that film and I'm not even talking just the main players, but the, the, oh gosh, what's the name of them? The Fruit Loops? No. The Juicy Fruits. Juicy Fruits, sorry. Oh, no, no, they changed though. The Juicy Fruits were at the beginning though. So it, yeah. they changed, but. They changed throughout and it's the same band, but each time I love them. I'm like, oh, you sound <laughs> like a 50s drifter, you know, grifters things. And, and then whatever that other one was. But I love the last bit when they're actually performing as Beef's backup group. Which, first off, Beef is a wonderful name. I love that song. Oh, well, yes. And they're chopping up people. Oh. And oh my gosh, it was beautiful. And I would like probably his voice the best out of every other person in the whole film. The lead of the Juicy Fruits, not Beef. Yes. So yes, it's a love, but almost hate, and the music saves it. All right. This is one of those films, and I don't know, <sighs> truly a film of its time. It's 1974, <laughs> and... I will go ahead and tell you I was born in 1979, so a lot of the 70s still kind of drifted into my early years, and I remember Paul Williams being like a big deal, like he was on the love boat when I was growing up. He had like special guest appearances on The Tonight Show all the time. He was just this very little person who, for some reason, like was just cool and everybody loved him. And I had always heard about this movie because I know Brian De Palma because he also had done some, as Anthony mentioned, some very good films and particularly horror films. And I've always had this movie because 
I had a encyclopedia, a really cheap paperback that just listed a lot of cult films. And this was on there. And I saw this is De Palma. This is Paul Williams. I got to get to this. And I'm so glad that I finally got to see it. And at first it kind of took me a second to get like a feel. And then it just was like, this feels so very real 70s, not like the 70s you get sold like everyone's disco. This has got this real 70s kind of feel and vibe to it. That's really nice. And the music is outstanding. I enjoyed the acting. I thought the acting was good. I think the dialogue could have been a bit tighter, but I really enjoyed it. It's been really sticking with me lately since I watched it. I've been listening on Spotify repeatedly ever since watching it. So, Oh, it's on Spotify? Oh, yes. Okay. Which raises a question before you give us your opinion, Anthony. You mentioned that Paul Williams did the voice for Finchley for when he had his specific singing bit at the very beginning, singing the song Faust. Yeah. It's interesting. On Spotify, they still list him as the sole artist on that. It's interesting. Oh, wow. I know. I know. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Don kind of hounded me into watching it back in December, and it was just before Christmas, and I had had a little bit of a COVID scare in that I had been around someone who a few hours later tested positive, and it being just before Christmas and not wanting to prevent my partner from spending Christmas with her family, I went into isolation. And this was something I watched while I was really bored, locked in the bedroom. And I didn't have COVID, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. (laughs) But in those few days while I was waiting for my test to come back negative, I watched this and I definitely got that Rocky Horror vibe from it. I think it's very much an aspect or a function of the time it came out. I mean, Rocky Horror as a theatre production opened just over a year before this hit the theatres. And then the Rocky Horror movie came out about a year after this. (laughs) So very much of the same time frame. And you definitely get that kind of same aesthetic, the same kind of callback to the 50s, the same campy horror vibes to it. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see where you're coming from. And while Rocky Horror plays on certain horror tropes, this uses slightly different ones. It calls back to Faust. It calls back to the Phantom of the Opera. And even though I've now probably seen this three or four times, because I watched it twice preparing for this recording... I'm with you, Julie. I'm still not sure whether or not I actually like it. The music is great. We'll get into some of the specifics as we go, but wow, some of the performances are awful. There's that scene at the beginning where Winslow Leach is singing Faust that Riley mentioned, William Finley, and it's so obviously overdubbed. Overdubbed, yes, it (laughs) It is. like, wow. But honestly, that adds to some of the charm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think if push came to shove, I would say I actually really like it. But there are parts of me that go, oh, I can kind of see why this bombed. (laughs) You have to just embrace the camp and embrace some of the badness. Yeah. And just it's fine. (laughs) I think the best way to put it, I can see why it bombed, but I can Mm -hmm. also see why it has become a cult classic since. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. that kind of film that does that. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to point out just an interesting connection here. Since we've been talking about Rocky Horror, Jessica Harper, who is the female lead in this film, was the female lead in the unsuccessful Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment. Mm-hmm. And she was also in Suspiria, which is awesome. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to tell you my tentative connection to this, and it's not a real connection, guys. So when I <laughs> okay. said that Swan's haircut, mm-hmm. does it remind you of anyone else's haircut? Because I was getting slightly Joe vibes from that haircut. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking Jimmy Savile, which, you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I was thinking like the Nelsons, if anyone remembers that from the 80s and 90s, the twin musicians with the very long blonde hair. Oh, yeah. 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 No, this was the longest stretch I could make of any sort of connection to Doctor Who was a haircut. I tried. <laughs> I tried everyone. We can do a three degrees of separation in that Jessica Harper, as Riley mentioned, was in shock treatment. Mm hmm. And starring alongside her in Shock Treatment was Patricia Quinn, ah, uh -huh. who is in a story from season 24. There we go. <laughs> you can kind of go for several degrees of separation, but I can't find anyone who worked on this movie who actually then also worked on Doctor Who. Was anyone else struck with amazement that, yes, it indeed was Rod Serling doing the narration at the beginning? <laughs> I'd seen it on IMDb, right. so I wasn't shocked. I was not prepared for that. I was like, wow, they got Rod Serling. That's amazing. Yeah, I think I would have been surprised if I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely cool. Yes. I mean, I thought when I heard it, I'm like, did they get a Rod Serling impersonator to do this? Because I just knew that this was not a movie that had necessarily a large budget. But can we talk about the fact that this went for an Academy Award it was only in the music, but it went up for an Academy Award, guys. The Academy, they don't care if they, they'll take it just for the song. I mean, there's been some not great films that have been put up there just for the song. So, And also it's Paul Williams. I mean, the guy's amazing. <laughs> the guy is amazing. I was looking at the specific Three Dog Night songs that he does, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I get it. Yeah. yeah. And some of his solo stuff outside of this is really, really good, too. Since we're talking about Paul Williams, let's talk about the soundtrack. Any favorite oh, songs? Oh, God. Yeah. Well, Julie went ahead and got to one of my favorites, which is the song by the Undeads, the Beef Construction song, which I believe is Somebody Super Like You, I believe is the title. I really like that. But also what is really strange is because I've been listening to the soundtrack. They have two versions of the song Faust. They have the one that Finchley didn't sing, but did in the film, but didn't really sing it. And then there is a more thorough production version of it that is in Paul Williams's normal voice that's on the soundtrack. And uh, I love that song. That song, I think it's fantastic. It's got a great structure that's really interesting. But I actually prefer the Finchley version or the Finchley didn't do it, but listed version <laughs> where just the straight up piano, it just cuts through. That's the thing I, and I'm sorry to just be on the ramble here, but I want to point out after listening to the music, how every couple songs felt specifically, particularly when they're done by the Juicy Fruits or the Undeads or whichever version of the Juicy Fruits you want to put up there, are poking fun at a certain genre oh, of music. Absolutely. And then when you hear all that and how kind of like all this sarcasm behind it and dry wit behind it, when you hear William Finchley's just piano version of Faust, it just cuts through and just becomes so honest and true. And I don't know, I find that really attractive in that song. And that's why I really, really like it. I love that opening track by the Juicy Fruits. I kind of love that doo-wop vibe. Oh, that 50s, yeah. Yeah, I'm an absolute sucker for some doo-wop. <laughs> but to your point, Riley, I think that first Faust that's sung by Winslow, it's in such contrast Mm -hmm. to the doo-wop you know everything right. has that 1950s vibe and then there's this beautiful piano piece that's got this really nice vocal line to it and it just doesn't quite mesh and it sticks out right and that's obviously very deliberate right nothing else comes across as so sincere as that because what do we have after that we have the hilarious beach boys ripoff called upholstery which like the beach bums <laughs> yeah. the beach bums which has the hilarious line, a good carburetor is what life is all about. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm with you both. I think anything by the Juicy Fruits, the Beach Bums and the Undead is just spectacular. It's just so good because, again, it's the poking fun at, but done so well. Mm -hmm. If you were to go back to the 50s and like listen to that song, you would believe that someone from the 50s did that song. Some of the content, probably not, because I don't think in the 50s they're going to talk about someone dying. Well, I mean, they did that in Leader of the Pack. Yeah, 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 Leader of the Pack did. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, never mind. But... I think my favorite was The Undead, Somebody Super Like You. I really enjoyed that. But at some point, I would like to touch upon beef, but just (laughs) as beef. So let's finish up the song music before we get to that. And can I ask a question about The Undead song, the Somebody Super Like You? Was that Mm -hmm. poking fun at Alice Cooper? Because it was that plus like the kind of stage show, stage theatrics thing? I think so. And I almost got a little bit of Kiss out of Maybe. the makeup, oh, but I don't yeah. know if Kiss were around. In 74, I don't know. I know I yeah. just looked it up. I do believe that Cooper was active at that time. And Kiss came about in 73. So yeah, they would have been around. It's probably also too early, but when I think beef, I'm like, they weren't making fun of Meatloaf, were they? <laughs> there better be no way that they were making... <laughs> they would have had him on a piano if they were making fun of Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. Just throwing that one out there. Bat of Hell didn't happen until 77. So Meatloaf. So he would not have been known. Yeah, he would not have been known to an audience. So there's no reason to make that joke. I mean, he showed up in Rocky Horror in 75 and then Bat Mm -hmm. Out of Hell, which was his debut. And sorry, just one second. (laughs) What a fucking debut. Bat Out of (laughs) Hell? I mean, holy shit. Uh, Guys, I don't think you guys understand my love of Meatloaf. So when you like even hinted that they were making fun of him, I was like, no. no." I I was just asking. I like meatloaf the musician, but not so much the food. (laughs) If I make the meatloaf myself, yes. If I get it somewhere else, I don't trust it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, back to the movie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice little meatloaf sidetrack there. So we want to just talk about beef because we're already talking about meatloaf. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, let's definitely talk about beef. (laughs) So let's talk about the film. There are some elements of the film that stand out to me. And I will say that I really enjoy the acting by our leads. I'll specify it by our leads. Jessica Harper is always very good. Paul Williams, for a person who's a talented musician, is very good at acting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly good at acting. And our lead, also very, very good. I want to point out that one thing that tickled me was, since this is an early Brian De Palma film, in the scene where the beach bums get blown up, <laughs> notice the use of the split screen? That is Brian De Palma's thing. You watch any Brian De Palma film, you're going to eventually get a split screen. And it was done most famously in the climactic scene of Carrie. That's the one that everyone thinks of. Yeah. But he always does that with his films. And that's just something he loves doing. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, yep, this is a Brian De Palma movie. <laughs> there you go. All right. So beef. Beef. For a character whose name is kind of macho and his look mm-hmm. is kind of macho. Kind of. He's very camp. Very camp. I find it an interesting character, especially watching it twice, because when you look at it on the surface, he's a very shallow character. He's very one note to a certain degree and everything (laughs) like that. He's a diva. He's a diva. But when he goes to leave after Leech goes after him and he's going to leave and he has the interaction with the manager, I thought that was brilliant. That little Mm -hmm. interaction, for some reason, I was just like, that was wonderfully acted. It was a turn of his character that you weren't expecting to see. And I just really enjoyed how that went. Yes, I was a little concerned at first when Beef was brought in. I'm like, you know, he's introduced as like 
this big guy is a big deal. You know, he's introduced via coffin at the airport scene. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. And then I saw what they were doing. And then I said, okay, all right, we're going to do this for humor. All right. And I was really wondering, because I know this film is very much loved as cult favorite. And I was wondering, like, there must be more to it. And I think Julie called it out correctly. At first, you're thinking it's just going to be a one note kind of like comedic character that might be a little not so great nowadays. But no, he actually does have depth. He really does like show himself. And it's a great character turn in that scene where you're like, okay, so you're not a joke. You're a real person. I think Garrett Graham, who played him, did a great job. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him in a few other things. I mean, he was in National Lampoon's Class Reunion. He was in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. And he was a regular on The Critic as well. He did one of the voices on that. And I'm not really surprised that he was really good knowing who he is. But I think that they got some good performers in this movie. And he's one of them. I liked Jessica Harper, except for her dancing. <laughs> okay, I'm so glad you said that because Jessica Harper, I really do love her, but I never knew how much Jessica Harper dancing I needed in my life because she has this delightful drink too much at a wedding reception wine ant thing going on that is just amazing. That's exactly what it is. It's drank too much at a wedding and hitting that dance floor. Oh my God. And the best thing is in her audition scene, <laughs> she like just dances herself off the stage and then just comes right back on. <laughs> but Phoenix, her character, I'm a little confused by something. I felt like the twist with her happened a bit too quick. She seems very reticent. We have that very uncomfortable audition scene where she meets Leech, and then she has her audition scenes like okay she's getting it because she's really good at singing and then she fills in for beef and immediately she's completely turned like swan's got her eaten out of his hand immediately there's no inner conflict here she's just all in <laughs> and i feel like that was yeah kind of a disservice to the character i would i mean she seems so very aware of things and has a good morality and you never get to see her struggle with it I can kind of headcanon that away and it's the influence of the devil. Right. But you shouldn't have to do that. That's the thing. Is Swan the devil or is he a person who has sold a soul to the devil in like, I guess, franchising? <laughs> I think he's franchising. Okay. That's definitely what it felt like. I kind of agree with you, Riley. They wouldn't even have to add that much. They could have added five minutes maybe to put in something to make that seem possible or, you know, have like a scene where she gets confronted by the devil, right? So I agree with you. I think that turn was a bit much, especially given how she refused that other audition because she refused to sleep with whatever guy that was. But we never actually talked about Swan. The bathtub scene, that right there, we talk about how much we love the scene with the undead singing the song for beef. I think the best scene to me is both how it's shot and how it's acted is the bathtub scene of Swan selling his soul. I thought that had a wonderful undercurrent of being very disturbing without it being too obvious. It was very subtle in that, and I really enjoyed that element of it. Do you think that he was effectively meant to be Phil Spector? <laughs> 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 um uh that's a good question i was kind of thinking through okay which big producers could they be parodying here 
And the one I came closest to was Phil Spector, kind of an asshole, yet absurdly successful. Right. Yeah, that works. And Paul Williams, in his time in the industry beforehand, probably heard a lot of things or dealt with them himself. I don't know if you ever had any production from him, but... But to your point, Riley, that scene is probably the best scene with no music. I was Mm -hmm. highly talking about the music (laughs) when I was talking about the other one, although it still is high on my list because I think that one's more entertaining and amazing. And this one is, as you said, it's well shot. It's kind of doing a dual screen, except not just side by side. And they do a very good job of actually making it look reflective And I like how the light changes and everything. Yeah, it's really well done. Yes, agreed. That really struck me. And that right there is when I was also hit with the fact that Paul Williams is really good at acting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He might almost be too good for this movie. Well, he... (laughs) He carried this movie on his shoulders, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, you don't have this movie without Paul Williams. Can you imagine this without like his music? It was someone else's music that wasn't as talented as him. It... Ooh. <laughs> I have a couple questions, though, that I that has been spinning around in my head about this film, and I want to get everyone's opinions on it. Swan's name is Swan. Jessica Harper's character's name is Phoenix. The Phantom's mask makes him look like an owl, and the label for the record label, the death record label, is a dead bird. What's up with all the birds? I mean, were they just trying to do a <laughs> motif? Is that it? Or is there something I'm missing? Does anyone have any guesses on that? <laughs> I would think it's a motif. Okay. That's my opinion. Well, especially if you think about it, it's interesting that Swan chose the dead raven or whatever, as opposed to a swan, the obvious. So that's first an interesting one. And Phoenix, in it feels like they just keep leech out because maybe they're like, ah, eh, but it's leech. It's not, <laughs> it's not a bird. That's probably going too far. Originally, his company was meant to be called Swansong Enterprises, but Led Zeppelin had a label (laughs) Swansong Records, so they had to remove Swansong Enterprises from the film, although it's still kind of there in a couple of scenes. Interesting. And I have one last question. One thing that really bugs me is that, okay, we have Phantom of the Opera, we have Faust, we have Frankenstein, roughly, with the beef construction scene, because they're back there sewing up all these potty parts from different people to create one person. And then we have that wonderful scene in the bathtub that I discussed, which was basically the picture of Dorian Gray. So, with Dorian Gray, at the end, it's my understanding, yes. <laughs> especially with the scene where there's that woman who talks to those younger girls and says, as Swan, I used to date him back in high school. That woman looks like she's in her 40s or 50s. I'm guessing. And those girls are high school age or early college age. So when Leech destroys the contracts and Swan becomes vulnerable and we have our big climactic scene and that gold mask is taken off of him, why is his face melted? Why does he just look like a 55-year-old man? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe in his contract he assumed some of the injuries from Winslow? I don't know. Again, I'm I'm stretching here. All right, my only headcanon for that was that technically that image of him, that whole Dorian Gray thing, is that at that moment... His physical body, his true physical body died, so he's been decomposing for 20 or 25 years. That's my only guess. It's either decomposing or my other thought is that since it's not a portrait, it's like on film and the way he destroyed the film. That it melted because it was a fire. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah, that works. There we go. Mm -hmm. Solved. (laughs) 
I want to touch on something you said there, Riley, that woman who said she was at high school with Swan. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is the sign that I'm getting older, but I thought she was hotter than the groupies. (laughs) That that happens. No, that happens. (laughs) Do you know how often I think older men are more attractive than teenage boys? Because it's all the time. (laughs) All the time. I'm like, guys in their 50s look amazing. Sorry, everyone, but they do. (laughs) Nice. (sighs) Anyway. All right, so we touched on the influences. I think we've discussed this pretty thoroughly. Are there any kind of closing thoughts or anything left that you want to touch on? Yes, I have one thing, and I don't know if I have the dates right. So I've been picking away at each song, each artist that's represented in this universe and trying to figure out if it's trying to point at somebody else. Do you think that the original Leech is Warren Zevon or Warren Zevon, excuse me? He just has that look. I don't know why. The glasses, maybe? And I could see Paul Williams having respect for him. It's the glasses and it's the hair, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. When did he first... Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Break it. I, 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 I think his major label debut wasn't until 76. Ah, Damn. But he'd been on the scene. He tried a solo album in 1970 that flopped. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. And he'd been touring with the Everly Brothers since 70 or 71. So he was around on the scene. He just wasn't particularly famous. So it's possible. Right. And Paul Williams is on the scene. I'm sure he had an eye for people that were talented before he saw him. And also just like that song, the structure of that song, how that song goes, just really reminds me of him in his style. Yeah, I didn't go quite down that path of trying to figure all of those things out. <laughs> Half the fun. <laughs> I'm still trying to decide if I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you at least like the soundtrack and that's available yes. on Spotify. So there you go. Yes. Well, I don't think there's any value whatsoever in us rating this. <laughs> We're just going to say sort of liked it, sort of didn't. I can see why Don enjoyed it. Oh, Absolutely. It's got that kind of quirkiness that I know he loved in the camp factor as well. It's definitely fun to watch. If you like cult films and you like old films, you should see this movie. There is a good possibility I will actually watch this again because it's weird and everything, but there's probably going to be some night and then I'm just, you know, I'm going to go watch that. Worth a watch. So a few weeks ago, I was involved in helping to sort through Don's belongings and actually came into possession of his Blu-ray copy of this. So I now have it. and I think I'll definitely be coming back to it on a few occasions for that reason in that I have easy access to it. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We started the episode with some heavy stuff. I think we've lightened it up with this hearty discussion. Once again, thank you to everyone who wrote in and said such nice things about our friends. And we really wanted to give you all props. And we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about this slightly strange movie. And maybe you're even inspired to go and watch it yourselves. We'll be back next time round with a regular episode when we'll be doing our season 13 retrospective. It's the first Doctor Who episode we recorded with just the three of us. So that's going to be an adjustment for everyone. So please do tune back in for that. As always, thank you so very much for listening. And until next time, have a good one.
You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Philippec, Riley Schreck, and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, A Good Carburetor is What Life is All About, was recorded on Wednesday the 9th of August 2023. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, we love you all. Thank you for being part of the amazing community around this show. Okay, guys, I need a second. Yeah, yeah, That's okay. Yep. Oh, man. That that last one just kind of like wrapped everything up nicely. It did. That's kind of why I put it last. Yeah, I get it. I get it. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready to go again. Okay. All right.